Welcome to Unstuck AF, a podcast here to help you do you better. There's a path that starts where you are, passes through who you are, and leads where you want to go. We're here to hear from people who've walked that path or who are walking it right now. This is Orlando Bishop, Coach Orlando, and I thank you for listening as we learn how to get unstuck, how to be unstuck, how to live unstuck. Unstuck as fuck. So I am privileged to have not only a wonderful artist, and we'll discuss all of that over the course of this time, but more and most importantly, a real friend, Robin Lee, who is here with us today. And what we're going to be discussing is how we can live creative lives better. One way that you may re, uh, recognize her name, though, is as the author of The Idea of You. And uh, I will say also, in addition to reading the book, that if you choose to listen to it, she just does a lovely job. I described it as a sultry telling mm-hmm. of the story and just thoroughly enjoyed listening to that. So I don't want to waste any of the time that you could be using listening to her. Robin, welcome to Unstuck AF. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So happy to have you here. And uh, we've had so many different conversations about being creative. We've both spent some time in the Hollywood world, sort of how do you do that also moving into being parents and so on. So many different things. Before we get to any of that, I just want to ask how and or when you knew that you were going to be living a creative life? Hmm. Very good question. I think it came to me in in different phases. I think I was about two and a half, three years old when I asked my parents, how can I get inside of the TV? And I wanted to be inside the TV with people on like Mr. Rogers and electric company in Sesame Street. Wow! And this is back in the day of, uh, I think we had a black and white TV and it was like a box thing. Sure. So you could walk around and look at the back of the TV. <laughs> now it's kind of, you know, it's flat up against the wall. It doesn't right. make any sense, but kids of the 70s. Uh, sure. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, so there was that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a moment in ninth grade. Uh, I was 14 years old. I wrote my first novel by hand. It was 884 pages. I was obsessed. By hand. By hand. Wow. Um, and I think on completing that, I, w- I mean, I'd never been, ha- it made me so happy. It was like the thing I did every waking moment that I didn't, you know, I wasn't doing schoolwork or extracurricular stuff for school. So that was a moment. And then, you know, I went to Yale, as you know, where we met. And I, um, on the car ride up to Yale, my father said to me, don't think we're sending you to Yale to study drama. And so he kind of thwarted any like yeah. activity for a bit, but didn't stop me from writing. And I was a little intimidated by doing much but doing theater at Yale and I kind of held off and then I spent my junior year in France and did some theater there but it was after college I was in New York living in the city and I'd gotten to an acting class and I'd started acting and then I once I took a break after acting for a few years I started law school at Columbia New York okay um and I was kind of juggling because I thought maybe I could be an entertainment lawyer and produce hmm. maybe I have to act 
Right. And the summer of my second year, and this is what really clinched it. The summer of my second, after my second year, I worked at a big corporate law firm um, in Manhattan, one of like the top five firms. Right. As a summer associate, they wine you and they dine you. And they took us out to see Rent and Death of a Salesman, the two plays we saw that summer. And I think it was in Rent that I saw myself like, we had like, I don't know, fifth row seat, center seat, like incredible seats. Sure. And I perched on the, on the edge of my seat, just smiling, leaning forward. And I had this moment that like, I should be there on the stage. And I look back at all my other classmates and we're all in our, I mean, our, what do you call them? Associate mates, whatever. Sure. We're all in our suits and everything after a day of working at the firm. And I was like, I don't belong here on this side. Mm. On this stage. I belong up there. And that for me was it. Like that was... Like no matter what kind of offer I get from this law firm, I have to pursue my dream of being an artist or I will die. Mm. It's really kind of, that was, that was it. It's interesting. I mean, you say that or I would die. And my instinct around that is it could be a sentence. It's like, oh, hyperbolic. But being a fellow artist, it's not just a hyperbolic thing to oh. say. There is that sense. Can you say a little bit more about like that real call? Yeah, you know, they tell you in acting class and it's only recently that I've been able to kind of I'm not stepping away from acting. I've just come to terms with that. I'm not going to I'm not having the career that I'd hoped I'd had in acting, mm -hmm. but I'm also having a great career in writing that I didn't think I'm just embarking on, but I hope it will be a great career. It's been a great response. And there's something about the power and control of writing that you don't get in acting. But for the longest time, you know, you'd go into acting classes and they'd tell you if there's anything else that you can do that you're good at, do that. Because this business will beat you up. And this mm -hmm. career and this practice, this profession will beat you up. And I kind of thought, mm, no, like I could be a lawyer. I mean, I, I finished law school. I took the bar. I passed the bar in New York, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't want to do that. Like I wanted to act and acting was what made me happiest. And then I found something else that made me just as if not happier. And so I thought, okay, if I act, that's great. But right. I don't know that I need to do that to survive anymore in the way that I need to write to, to, to breathe. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, to give some credit, I mean, I know you describe it as not necessarily the career that you wanted to have, and I'd be interested in talking about some of those challenges, but to give some credit, um, you have been in my TV. I have seen you in my TV, and that, that was really exciting. I guess, what was that, what's that been like for you, and to realize that there's maybe a distance between what you imagined and dreamt and nothing that you did experience and that you did go through and all of that you know acting is um it's a roller coaster like this my career has been a roller coaster there are and i think for most actors it's that way i don't i don't know how what percentage of actors even reach where i am i mean i'm, I'm in mm -hmm. the upper mm -hmm. which is kind of crazy because i don't feel i don't feel like this super successful actor but i know sure what the numbers are and i know that i'm doing really well but i I don't know anyone who doesn't feel like there are highs and there are lows, you know, there, it wanes and ebbs. And when it's going really well, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. But when it's not, right. it's, it, it, it's like having the rug pulled out from underneath you and it's, and it's over and over and over again. Like there's so much rejection. Mm. There's, so, there's so many disappointments. It beats up at your self-esteem, at your desire to even like go on. Like, you know, I mean, I, I feel like 
writers and actors are kind of prone to depression. So I don't know which came first, me. <laughs> but I, yeah, I definitely get it in both ways. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I've come into like my darkest depression, periods of depression mm -hmm. in lulls in acting. Like in feeling like I wasn't being, I wasn't being seen the way I wanted to be seen. I wasn't doing the pro kind of projects I wanted to work on. I wasn't being considered for the kind of projects I wanted to work on. Or if I was, it wasn't seriously. It was like, we're going to read you, but we're really going with a name and then you're not a big enough name. And like, I mean, right. you know, it's, it's, it's things like that and, and, or working on something that I'm really excited about. And then decide, they decide that they're going to take the story in a different direction and they, they edit all your scenes. Mm. I've had that happen more than once. Right. And it's crushing. Right. And it's like, I don't know what, in times like that, I don't know what would keep me going if I didn't have a great husband who's super supportive. If I didn't have kids who needed me and needed my attention and who I could put my focus and energy into. And if I didn't have writing that I could use as a creative outlet to escape when I wasn't acting. Right. Because acting is a kind of thing that like, you need permission to do it. You know, it's like, I, I could just stand out on the street corner and recite Shakespeare. Right. Soliloquy. I would look crazy. Right, 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 right. <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily make enough money. So you need permission. You need someone else. You need a casting director to say, yes, I'm going to bring you the director. And the director say yes. And the studio to say, yeah, whatever it is, or network or whatever. All these people have to say yes just for you to do what you want to do. And then you're doing someone else's, you're performing someone else's words. You're you're playing a character developed in someone else, by someone else. You're, I mean, you're bringing your own to it, but it's still... It's not something that was 100% organically you, you know? Got it. Writing, it's all you. It's 100% you. And there's a freedom in that and a joy that I realize I can't get from acting or I no longer get from acting. Yeah. That said, mm -hmm. when it's working, when acting's working and you're and it, it feels like play and when you're working with a fellow actor who you respect and adore and who can bring it 100% every single time with you. And it, it feels like, I always say it feels like jazz. It's just, it's just like you're grooving and it's, and it's an incredible thing to, to have that experience with another artist that you don't write in because writing is solitary. And I want to come to the writing piece in just a second, but I will say I, I'm personally very excited to hear you talk about acting with still that, that, that uh, excitement in your voice and that, and that energy around it. You know, you know, I want to direct you at some point. We will get to that project one of these days. We will get to that project one of these days, but no, that's exciting to hear. But I'm curious what, I mean, obviously you hand wrote a novel, um, you know, when you were in ninth grade. So there was there was a seed at the very least planted more than more than that, it seems. But what brought you back to the writing and yeah, what brought you to embracing that as the way you were going to? Um, you know, it, it was always what I did in my downtime for pleasure. So all throughout mm -hmm. high school, um, I started another book right after I finished that book in ninth grade, I started another one uh, shortly after. And that went on, that was also handwritten. And that went on for about 1,200 pages before I mm. said, let me put this aside. I don't know what, <laughs> what I'm going to do with this. And then in law school, I, right before law school, I started another one. Um, and then prior to the idea of you, I spent six years working on yet another one that I'd hoped to sell but could not sell. Um, and that was a little more semi-autobiographical. And so it's always been the thing I did in my downtime that gave me joy. And I really think... I, I think the two of them are closely, the acting and writing are closely related that they're both ways of telling a story. And I, I've always thought that my, 
I wanted to act because I wanted to be able to affect people in the way that I feel affected sometimes when I go to the theater. And like, you know, sometimes you see something and you can't get out of your seat. Like the credits are long done. Mm. You're the only one sitting in there. They're I coming do. in, sweep up. they've put on the lights and you're still falling or just like, <laughs> like I, I'm very sensitive and emotional mm. and I get that feeling and I love it and I embrace it. And yeah. I've always wanted to make other people feel that way. And then I realize it doesn't have to be me on the screen. It could just be my words, you know, yes. it can have that same effect. And so when I, when a reader tells me that they could not stop crying after they finished my book or like, oh, they have a book hangover, they call it. And like, they can't move on to a next book, another book, because they can't stop thinking about my characters and my story. And it tore them up and they were like a mess for weeks on end. Like, I feel I'm sorry that they cried. <laughs> sure. like that's what I was meant to do. Like, yeah. that's what I always wanted to do is to make people feel. Right. So they're still, ex they're experiencing you. And they're I think that's at the core of it. Yeah. Yeah. When you are doing that work and I have the benefit of being your friend, being your, also your Facebook friend. So I, 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 I get to see in process, right? Like the reality, it doesn't just go from, I think I'll write a book. And then suddenly I'm, you know, figuring out what they're doing with my, with my novel in the UK, which <laughs> by congratulations, by Thank the way. You. Thank you very much. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, but talk to me about how you show up to that piece. I mean, you have, let's say the germ of an idea or not even that yet. If I were to watch you go through from that moment to, okay, we're published. What are some words I would use to describe the author who I'm watching in process? So with each project, it's different. Mm. There are a lot of stops and starts along the way. Sometimes it just flows. Like with the idea of you, I figured when I, once I was I had this conversation with my husband and he came up with this premise and I thought about it for, I don't know, five minutes. And it was like, I saw the entire story so clearly in my head. I knew the hmm. beginning, I knew the middle, I knew the end. And I knew it was just a matter of time of just getting it on paper. Like it felt so real and specific and genuine to me and immediate and like a story that I had to get out of me mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. And I was writing like, like the Hamilton quote, writing like I'm running out of time. Mm -hmm. Like I was writing like I was running out of time that entire, it was like 15 months it took me to write from beginning to, hold on, 15 months from beginning to the end of the first draft, I think, and then additional okay. three notes. And then I got a, an agent, mm -hmm. another three his notes, and then three months of re me doing rewrites. But I got it out of me so quickly. Um, that doesn't always happen. Like the one I'm working on now has been a battle. Like I've, I've been dealing with crippling writer's block um, for at least, I would say three and a half of the last five years. And the last year or so, it's been kind of stop and start. Like, oh, I have, might have a good day. And then weeks that I can't get anything out. Right. And right now I'm in a, I'm in a good place. So I don't want to jinx it. <laughs> right. no, I got it. Yeah. We're not going <laughs> um, all the way, all the way. And it's, and it's coming to me, but it's, it's hard. And I feel like you can't force it. And I, I mean, and I'll sit down and open up my laptop every day and try to write something and just be like, this is complete and utter crap. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And then I like writing things like this sucks. I'm, uh, I suck. What am I doing? Why am I, why do I think I can write? I can't ever do this again. And like close a laptop and then tomorrow's another day, but it's, you, you get enough days like that. You start to really question everything. I mean, obviously it's not the the fun part, no. but it's very much a part of writing. I mean, I, you know, 
I've heard people say, oh, there's no real such thing as writer's block and respectfully. If not, there's been a pretty uh, effective imposter hanging out at my place. <laughs> <laughs> it's real and it's so, I felt like when, when it happened to me, I kind of, I don't know if I jinxed myself, but I was like, I'm not going to be, it's not going to be cliche. Like I'm not going to finish this book and write a really great book and then not be able to write another one because that would just be like, and I don't want to be this one trick pony, even though I, I have like four books mm -hmm. beneath my belt <laughs> that are just sitting in my closet. Mm -hmm. um, but I tried to write and everything I wrote was awful mm. or not good enough for me. And I'm a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. um, I'm an overachiever and it has to be really great. And it has to be really great the first time. Hmm. I'm not one of those people who just like, I'll just do like a dump draft and then you come back. And oh, really? Yeah, I can't do that. My every sentence has to be pristine for me. Oh, wow. Okay. I don't know where that came from. I think it came from writing by hand all those years when I couldn't mm. go and change things. So I had to think out the sentence like clearly in my head and it had to be perfect before I wrote it in the note. Wrote it down, yeah. Um, yeah, because there was, there was no crossing things out and going back and editing. And so when I write, I want it to be, I want it to feel like literature, like poetry, and I want to love it. And if I don't love it, I really get down on myself. Mm -hmm. Right? I can spend four hours and come up with one sentence and be like, oh, well, that's all I did today, but at least it's a great sentence. Right, and right. You know, months later, I might have to cut that sentence out and I just have to be like, oh, well, just going to let, <laughs> whatever, it served its purpose, it's, it's over, it's gone now. Um, four, years of my, four hours of my life will never get back. But, but it's it's a process, mm -hmm. definitely a process, and it's not. It there's no rhyme or reason to it. I don't know why some days it clicks and some days it doesn't. What keeps you then doing it, right? I mean, if if when those days come and when you have a string of those days, is there a sense of you're looking forward to you know the good day is coming? Is there something beyond all of that? Is it just I need to express this. And so if it takes me five years to express it, that's just what it's got to be. I mean, what, what drives you to get up again tomorrow and try again? Well, now it's pressure. In the beginning, it was kind of like, oh, well, it, it'll, it'll come to me. This is not, it shouldn't be this difficult. Therefore, this is not the right story. Like maybe I'm telling, maybe I'm going about the, whole, the wrong way. I'll wait till a better idea comes or, or this story flushes out better in my head. Why am I, why am I struggling with this story so much? It should just kind of like fall into place by now. And for a long time, I kind of, you know, I'd work on it a little bit and put it down and think about it and have some more ideas. Like, what if I did this instead? Or what if I did it more like that? Or what if I did, what if I don't write the story at all? I mean, I, I think I've tried four different stories between 2016 and the one that I'm, I started writing. Oh, okay. Before, last, before deciding on this one to continue. <laughs> and I'm too far into it now to, to, to like throw it away. Turn back. So, but I think it's um, now it's pressure. Hmm. It's my agent saying and my editor saying, let us know when you've got something to share. And you know, and yeah. that came like once a year or whatever. Now it's like, hey, anything <laughs> going on? What have you got to share? You're waiting. Right. Your audience are waiting. Your readers are waiting anytime. And I don't want to like lose my agent and my editor. Sure. <laughs> okay, now I've got to, I've got to do it because I've got to, I've got to make money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> and I haven't been acting as much, especially with the pandemic. And so I really need to make money. And I want to make them proud, I guess. Like I want mm -hmm. to have something to show for this time that we've all been at home and I, I should have come up with like my opus 
by now. <laughs> yeah. I, will, I mean, I don't know. This may or may not be a sidestep. We'll find out. But I've felt like there's an unfair thing we're doing. I don't know if we're doing it to ourselves or we're doing it to each other, where there's this idea that, oh, well, we were all locked in the house. So everyone should emerge with their opus. Everyone should emerge with their, you know, their symphony and their everything else. What's your feeling around I mean I know you were sort of putting that forward but what's your feeling around that expectation and yeah just for artists in this time um I felt like everything I've, I've, I've been I've been trying to be kind to myself so in the beginning of the pandemic the first few months I had so much stress and anxiety like we're all gonna die there's right. that fear there's a fear that I was gonna lose my parents mm. I watched some friends lose their parents um there was way too much anxiety to think about writing for me like I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. I didn't read a novel. I didn't read a book. I didn't read a book from beginning to end all of 2020. Really? I wrote a novel that I started right before New Year's and finished it shortly after. And then I started a ton of books. I started many books and I did not finish one in 2020. And all of the ones that I ended up starting were nonfiction because I felt like it was easier for me to digest little mm -hmm. chapters. I didn't have to follow a storyline, like a through line. And then I had this New Year's resolution in 2021, I'm gonna read books. So far, I've only completed two. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm behind schedule, but at least it's two more than I did in 2020. Sure, sure. So um, I couldn't focus. I had to, I was constantly watching the news. Mm -hmm. It was the pandemic. Mm -hmm. It was what was going on in New York, where I have a lot of family in LA and, you know, the world. And then it was George Floyd and everything that right. came with that. I was like, I've got to write through this. And then, then I thought, what am I doing? Yep. And it's like for a week or two, I was like, I'm not, I'm not forcing myself to do anything. I'm going to sit here, lie on the couch and watch CNN and cry when I want to cry and be angry when I want to be angry. And I'm not, I'm not going to try to create art in this period. But then there was post George Floyd when suddenly every company was, had this like diversity plan and every <laughs> writers of color, artists of color, da, da, da. and right. Right. And I had a lot of friends who got really big gigs and big deals nice. post Floyd, and I didn't have anything ready to sell. Like I didn't mm -hmm. have anything that was out there. And I was like, crap, I, I should have timed it for the killing of another unarmed black man. Right. <laughs> like, right. Who knew? Right. <laughs> Could you guys give me a little notice next give time? Me a notice next time so I can have manuscript <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> right, right, right. And you know, like clockwork, there'll be another killing of another unarmed black man. Uh, unfortunately, that is correct. Unfortunately. But I, I couldn't, um, it was really difficult to write. It was really an emotional period and I shut mm -hmm. down and I, and I couldn't write. And so I I try not to beat myself up about that. Yeah, yeah. I It's interesting because I had a similar experience of 2020 and there was some things that I intended to write. I was positioned to write. Right. I had all the information, all of it, you know, I had everything I needed to get going. And yeah, my brain pretty much was like, yeah, no, mm -mm, nope. Yeah. Not right now. Are you serious? Yeah, but the feeling, you know, that I had coming, you know, going into 2020 with these writing projects was just, oh, yeah, I'm all set. I'll be home. And yeah, my brain just basically was on strike. And similar to what you're describing, it just felt like every moment you could be watching and engaging around and sort of trying the process. And you're a parent, and I want to ask you about that a sec in a second. But for me, I was also, you know, peeking in the rooms and trying to make sure everybody was relatively okay. Right, I was cooking dinner every day. Right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Mm. That was another, that was the beginning of the pinnacle of my grief. I, I'd i had this issue with my, I had a herniated disc in my neck that 
came on in late 2017. Um, and it took me about four months of physical therapy and spinal surgery, not surgery, but seeing a spinal surgeon and mm. acupuncture and massage and all this stuff to correct it. And I was doing pretty well. And then the night Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I felt everything coming back, like the tightness. Oh, in wow. And that lasted up until I want to say it was after the insurrection. It was like maybe end of January. I was mm -hmm. with that pain. It was excruciating. I couldn't, I had to re, you can't tell, but I reconfigured my computer now. So it's like higher. Oh, wow. And then my, and I have a little keyboard below it. So I can't, I can't. Yeah. So you're not hunching and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Mm -hmm. Read mm -hmm. everything. And um, that was awful. And that, that was debilitating and kept me from writing as much as I, I'd like to that pain. And then the election happened and then waiting for the election and then wondering if we were ever going to really transition right. and, and the insurrection happened. And then wondering like, what is the future of this country? Do we need to leave? How quickly do we need to leave? And then making our plan to leave. And uh, it's taken its toll. And that was like a full year of stress and anxiety. Seriously. <laughs> so the fact that I got anything written at that time <laughs> right. is like a no, absolutely. So I'm going to go sort of to the other side of this or end of this and ask optimally, right? If you could sort of, if I could wave a magic wand and sort of say, okay, this will be your artistic, this will be your creative life now. And maybe right. it's around your process. Maybe it's around outcomes, whatever it might be. What would that be for you? Um, well, I would not be here. I, I'm hmm. ready to leave LA. Mm-hmm. I would be in Paris or the south of France, um, someplace removed from a lot of the craziness that's going on in this country right now and, mm -hmm. and from the pressures of this business, I think. Mm. Um, I kind of want to get away from it. And I would be not focusing on acting unless a plum job came and landed on my lap and it was an offer. And so I'd have more time to just write. I wouldn't be like stopping everything to audition. Because the other thing is that like, an audition comes in, I stop everything to audition, but I'm going to change that. Hmm. I've this week I decided, <laughs> because I feel like for me, that was like my bread and butter and that was more important. Mm -hmm. like right now I really need to get this book done. So it's like, I'll find the time to audition if I like it enough, as opposed to, I really need a job. I really need a job. Like I need to finish the book and that's going to be the priority. Okay. Um, so if I don't, if I'm not in love with the material, I'm not, I can't put in the work the time because it really is a full day out of my schedule between the time I get the material right read it whether the script attached or not and I'm breaking it down I'm memorizing it and then the next day like I'm shooting it and it's I'm doing my hair and makeup and setting up the lighting da, 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 and right, right. it's it's a lot of time out of my schedule and it's time in my head out of my because once I get that side I'm thinking about the audition I'm not thinking I have to put my book away and not think about my characters at all and I'm just focused on whatever and it's just been um, a bit of a slog during this time because none of the auditions are in person. They're all on, on tape, which is easier. It can be, but the, the, the um, success rate is much, is much smaller <laughs> because you're not in the room with the casting director. And if you're, if you're doing it the wrong way, she can't stop you and say, no, 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 no. What She's about this? this? Right. Mm -hmm. you're gonna, you're, you have to hope that, that what you've come up with is what they want. Right. Um, and because they don't have to make appointments to see people, they mm -hmm. can see more people. So everyone is submitting tapes. So it's a much larger pool and your chances of winning are much smaller. And so it's kind of, it, it feels very futile. It's 
feel it's starting to really weigh on me and I was like you know what I can't okay so you'd be focused on the writing you'd be in Paris I'd be in Paris I'd be enjoying my life and sitting in cafes or my fabulous apartment or whatever and writing strolling along the Seine and Luxembourg Gardens or Tuileries or something like that and soaking it all in and being inspired by the art and the history and the people around me and writing and I'm going to go live out my James Baldwin fantasy. I love that. I love that. One of the things that I talk about in terms of uh, aligned performance and the work I do in the coaching and the aligned methodology, we always start with what's the point. Right. And underneath that is what do you want on the one side, which you just described, and the other side is why do you want it, right? And the why is the emotional experience you expect to accompany whatever it is that you want. So we all had the experience, you know, we were were around New Haven around the same time. So, you know, I've got to have that Carl Kanai sweatshirt, right? Whatever it might be. (laughs) Right? I don't know what accident, it was- Colors. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, you have this thing and you got to have it. And, And we think it's the thing, but really what we want is whatever we think the feeling is, it goes along with the thing, right? So I want to feel cool. I want to feel part of it. I want to feel important. I want to feel whatever. That's what we're really, that's what the getting of the sweatshirt's about. So if you were there, let's imagine you there, you're there, you're living in Paris, you're taking in all this art, you're living this James Baldwin fantasy life. How do you feel? I'm happy. Mm. Um, I feel like there's a huge rat race here. I don't feel it. I know there's a huge rat race in LA, everywhere from Hollywood and auditions and right even like screenwriting whatever what gets made what projects get greenlit etc etc i don't want to be a part of it i don't want to be my kids to feel a part of the rat race at school like get this grade get into this college do you have all these extracurriculars whatever it'd be nice to kind of back and like enjoy your life and enjoy your youth and enjoy learning like Mm -hmm. um and we go to a school where it's supposed to be about enjoying, it's a progressive school and it's supposed to be about enjoying learning. And I feel like they're doing a great job of that, but still it's underlying. It's like, you better get A's or you're not gonna go, you're not gonna follow, you're not gonna go to school where mommy and daddy went to school. Right, <laughs> like, right. And I know right. my kids are feeling that. And it's like, I don't want them to feel that. I don't want everyone to be talking about that. Like all the parents around here are talking about it. And mm. I don't want them to feel that pressure. I feel like the culture in France is so different in the way that the things that are important to them are different than things that are important to us here. And here, I think a lot of it is about, you know, we're in a capitalist country. So it's wealth, it's accumulation, it's the house and the vacation and the car and this and and your clothes and your handbag. And I feel like France is a lot more quality over quantity. The things that are important are time with your family and friends, which is why they kind of work nine to five and at five o'clock, they're out. They're not, they're not living to work for their corporation to make more money to move up the ladder or whatever it is because they've got a great safety net in place they've got health insurance they have like you know and everyone gets a month off for august and goes and spends time with their family and whatever their vacation spot is and it's you have these long lavish meals like even Mm. during the work day you take off and you go and you have a nice lunch with your it's not let me sit at my desk and wolf down a sandwich it's There's an appreciation for things like leisure time and food and being in wine and being with people who matter to you and art and books and it's just a different culture altogether and I'm ready to step away from this and I'm for all I know I will I will miss America and crave it and come back sure sure but I'm ready ready to 
try something new. When you're creating here, do you work toward moving, like getting yourself that way? I have friends who are creatives and I get the sense that they do it in a pretty, what I would call lunch pale way. And I marvel at them and that I feel like they wake up every day, they have their coffee, they sit down at this time, they write until that time, see you tomorrow, or to do the same thing. That's never quite been my process. Do you create something that approximates what you just described when you're trying to get the juices flowing? No, I don't. Um, I did this interesting thing, we don't think so much anymore, but I did this interesting thing with my, I'm, I'm part of a, a, a Yale woman writers group, they're Yale mm -hmm. women and we get together every three weeks and critique someone's work. And I've been doing it now since, I don't know, 2012, so a while. Um, we had a little group of women. And for we came up with this idea during the pandemic, like in July, of doing afternoon work Zooms. So we would Zoom and then whoever could make it would make it. And we would just write for two or three hours. But you know, we're not talking. It's just that the camera's on, so you kind of feel like sure. you can't you can't just take a nap or <laughs> put on right, the TV right. or like play with on Facebook. Like it was like, okay, I've got two hours of writing, and there were other women who were writing as well, and it felt it's kind of petered off out over the last month or so. Because um, once kids started going back to school, it changed everything. And then like, I'd have to stop and go and pick one up from school and take it to soccer practice or to soccer practice or whatever in the middle of the Zoom. So, so for a while, that was the one thing I had. But in general, it's not. I usually wake up, I work out. That's the first thing I do when I start my day. And some days it starts right away and I can get into writing immediately. And some days it doesn't. And then it depends, like I said, if I have an audition like that, right. that's my whole day. Right. Um, so I don't, it doesn't feel like formulaic. Got it. But when I'm enjoying writing, I want to do it all the time anyway. And so mm -hmm. I'm more than happy to do that. Got it. You've mentioned your kids, you've mentioned your husband, family life, and I'm wondering how that plays into your creative life. Do you find that, like, for me, there have been times where I just need them to, like, go so I can write. But, the, but in other ways, I feel like my interactions with them feed me and I'll find something that's happened that I'll pull in or a feeling that I get with them that I'm like, oh, what, my, what if my character felt that about this other situation? And there's there's fuel there. Yeah, I wonder for you also as a, a, a mom and a wife versus a, a father and a husband, what you're, how that all plays into your creative life. Um, it's not easy writing with them in the house all the time. Mm -hmm. That said, I definitely think I became a better actress when I had kids because hmm. the level of intensity and the layers you bring as a mother are completely different than if you're not a mom. And you can fake it, you can be a really good actor and whatever, but mm -hmm. there is just something that clicks in when you become a parent that you don't really know until you become a parent. Like they say having a child is like, forever going around with your heart outside of your body. That's what it is. Like there's, there are two little beings on this, not ones them, they're not that little anymore, but two beings on this planet that I love more than life itself. Like I would do anything for, and they come first. And I think that definitely affects my writing. I think being a wife affects my writing and being in a, a long-term relationship affects it. Like we'll, we'll be married for 20 years this summer. We're celebrating our 20th. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Um, hope we can make it another 20. <laughs> we'll see. But, uh, but I think, you know, 
Well, I'm, I, try, I think about things I used to write when I was younger. I would, I, I feel like I've always written about like my age, but as you get older, you feel like you can write all these different phases, but I, ages, but I feel like when I look back now and I write for a 20 year old and it's all about like finding the right guy and figuring out what I'm going to do, what my path is in life and whatever, it feels so superficial to the things that I'm dealing with now. And yet when I was that age, it didn't feel that way. Of course, that was like the most important thing, but it's like, you realize like getting the guy is just like, it's, it's like such a small part of the puzzle. Mm. <laughs> it's living with the guy and making it work and realizing that marriage is working and loving him despite his faults or whatever. And being a team player, like all those things I think affect how you see the world and, 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 the, and the depth of, of things, of subject matters you're able to write about. I think, and relationships and love that you're able to write about, and you're able to express in a way that if you hadn't experienced it, you might not, it would you'd be like a, some kind of, I don't know, interpretation that that's not necessarily organic. Oh, from like, from within you got it, yeah. you got it, yeah. Um, I guess I'm wondering, and you know, can we can wind up pretty soon? And I, I'm again appreciating your time. As you describe that time in France, and you've talked about sort of the realities, good and bad, in terms of family and so on, are there any actual steps you are taking, or could take, or would want to be taking now that move you toward that artistic life, or is that more of a dream? A dream um, that's, you know, when we all have those too, right? You know, yeah. some, some version of me ends up managing the Yankees somehow. I don't quite understand <laughs> how we get from here to there, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> um, we're actively trying to leave. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking into it. I found kids, schools for my kids. I'm applying this year. Mm. And uh, contacted an immigration attorney and... I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. And then, so I guess, looking in the other direction, as you look back to that ninth grader writing that book, anything you would share with her, anything you would, that might impact how, what choices she made along the way? Oh, goodness. Huh. It's so funny because sometimes I think, when I get really frustrated, and Eric reminds me all the time, when I get really frustrated with how my career is going or what's happening, he reminds me that 13-year-old me would be really impressed with modern, the current day me. And I have to remember that like, I'm living out all her dreams and all her fantasies. Like she wanted to do this, she wanted to move to Hollywood, she wanted to be an actress, she wanted to make movies and do TV and plays, like I've done it all those things. She wanted to be a novelist and I did that and she wanted to get married and have kids. Like I'm doing everything she wanted to do. <laughs> just, it just doesn't feel like I thought it would feel <laughs> when you yeah. get <laughs> Yeah, no, I love that you just said that because exactly right. So that's what I was saying about the point, right? So you have the what, that's all that stuff you just right. described. And then the why, which is the experience she thought would come along with it. What did, what did she think it would feel like for you compared to what it actually feels right. like for you. Exactly. Like I think she probably thought it would I I would be happy, I'd have more money. And mm -hmm. not to say that I don't we're not suffering or struggling, but 
I'd have like multiple homes and a yacht. I, I used to really, really want a yacht. <laughs> like, that's, I don't know. that's not going to happen. Um, and I don't know, like, I, I don't, I don't think she realized how much work raising kids would be like, you know, mm. how much time and energy that takes out of you and drains you. Um, or how little control you have necessarily of the parts you get. Like I can say, I don't want to audition for this, but it doesn't mean I'm going to get all the parts that I want to get. And so even like, even as in my twenties, when I first started out, I was like, I'm not going to do things like this and this, I'm only going to work with people like that, like whatever it was. Mm-hmm. You, you quickly learn like, oh, that's not how Hollywood works. <laughs> like, that's not it at all. Correct. Um, I, when I first got here, maybe within the year, first year I got here, I think I had an audition for this project called the Polar Express that was directed by Robert Zemeckis. And I auditioned for the role of a young girl. She's like seven years old. And for some reason or other, I was able to, ch- to channel my inner seven-year-old. And I did really, really well and got a meeting with Rob and they narrowed it down to three of us. And we were going to each test with Tom Hanks. And at the end, they ended up making it offered somebody without testing us and I'm not bitter at all but uh, right, right. <laughs> when I called my parents to tell them they I'm doing this and it's a guy who directed Forrest Gump and Castaway and it's I'm gonna read with Tom Hanks like whatever and my dad said see these are the kind of projects you should be working on this is what I said I was like daddy this right, is not right, right. come on choose. wake up Robin <laughs> Start working with Tom Hanks, will you? What's the matter with you? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get it. And so, you know, that was just another disappointment. Yeah. But um, for a moment, it felt like, oh, this is, this is what I, I like. This is what, this is what I wanted to do all along. Like, this mm-hmm. is going to be great. Yeah. Um, do you think you'll keep creating? Yes. I don't think I can stop. Yeah. I don't know what I would do if I were to stop. I really don't. Mm-hmm. I, like, I think, like, if I were to move to France, like, what would I do if I wasn't at least writing? I don't know. And then, yeah, let's finally come back to the core question, which is, how do we live better creative lives? I think you just have to do it. But I think you have to find what inspires you. I know that I'm inspired by music, mm-hmm. by art, by locations. I have to get out of my house, which is why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to, it's like, you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm. And I think travel is huge. I can't tell you, we did a, three years ago, we did a road trip um, through Europe. We'd started in south of France and we went through part of Italy up into like Milan and Lake Como and then into Switzerland and like mm. Grindelwald and Zurich. And then we cut back up through Strasbourg and then up to Luxembourg and uh, Belgium to Bruges and then back down through Paris and it was like I must have come up with like 20 different stories because every place you go like it's completely different and you're and you see things differently and you and mm-hmm. you have you see people and you're like what's her life like and what's this woman how long have these people have been living in this cottage like here in the mountains and what's this woman like here like I mean just getting out of your space and like seeing and I understand that's a luxury not everyone can travel sure. but um I think even if you get in a car and drive across the country you're seeing different things and you're and mm-hmm. you're you're putting yourself that you're at least attempting to put yourself in different people's shoes there's so much out there and you can't all get it you can't get everything just through the screen like you can try there's right. just got rick, rick steves is that his name he does these like travel videos and my parents <laughs> my parents watch that. 
And for them, it's like, oh, we went to Greece this morning. And like, <laughs> they watch these like little 45 right. minute things and they feel like they've, but it, but it does like, it, it picks you up and you, you, you do feel like you're in another place. You've been transported in a way. And for me, I, when I think about, I mean, the things that have inspired me most, it's, it's getting out of here. And like the, the idea of you is a ton of travel in it because I feel like that, that's always spoken to me in, in the book that I'm right working on now too. It's a lot of, you know, some of it takes place in LA, but not all of it. And, mm -hmm. And uh, I'm really inspired by locations and other people and other cultures. And if you can find that some way, like that to me, it's like, if, if you feel stuck, that's the way to do it and read. Yeah. That transports you, you know, whether it's fiction or nonfiction and learning about Oracle of France or whatever it is, mm -hmm. or find a place that's new and read about it and, and, and kind of like mentally put yourself there. That, to me, that, that that's, that's probably- that's probably the best inspiration. Love that. Well, Robin, I am so glad we had to have this conversation. What folks don't know is I've been jonesing because every once in a while, you and I, you know, would at least sit down and have lunch and chop it up and come up with our little inside jokes that we're going to have for the next few months. And, <laughs> you know, the, the pandemic's been keeping us from our lunches, man. No. So I love, I love that we got to have this moment to, uh, to talk and thank you so much. And thank you for being so open about your journey as an artist, because I think there's a real value to the people who get to see that not every day is an easy day, but to see that there's still something within you that keeps you coming back and putting something on the page and creating books that make people cry until they don't want to pick up another book for a while. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Great. Take care. Take care. On Friday, July 23rd, Robin Lee's The Idea of You hit the number one spot on the UK's Apple Books chart. I really couldn't be any happier for her. As she shared, she writes because she has to create. I have to pursue my dream of being an artist or I will die. What a powerful statement. She sat in that theater, a summer associate on her way to being a firm lawyer, looked up at that Broadway stage and was inspired. You know what inspires me? Inspired people. Sometimes I come upon them already inspired. Other times I have the opportunity, the privilege to inspire them or more accurately, to help them find their inspiration for themselves. However they get there, inspired people inspire me. That can be an artist creating that work that's been stirring inside them, but it can also be the tired mother who stops at nothing to nourish the child she loves more than she even knew was possible. It can even be the activist who braves society's resistance inspired by the cause that has captured their conscience. So here's your walk the line. Answer this question, what inspires you? No, really, what's that thing that the very thought of it gives you a boost of energy that thing that when you are sure you're out of energy gives you the strength to march on anyway. What inspires you? Dr. King said, if a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. I mean, even 50 Cent said he would get rich or die trying. Friends, when you get Dr. King and 50 Cent agreeing on a point, trust, you are on to something. What inspires you? If a man has not discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Now admittedly, it takes some balls to disagree publicly with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. But I'm inspired. I wouldn't say the person who hasn't discovered something they will die for isn't fit to live. I would say though, that if you're going through life completely uninspired, you ain't really living at all. What inspires you? 
you don't have an answer, let's find an answer. And if you have an answer, then I need you to identify what that thing inspires you to do today, this week, this month, this year, and go do it. I can't promise you'll end up at the top of the charts in the UK, but I can promise you'll end up a top-notch version of you. Until next time, you can join the conversation on the Align Performance Facebook page and follow at AlignP on Twitter. And if you like what you just heard, be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcast. And together, we gon' get unstuck. We gon' be unstuck. We gon' live unstuck. Unstuck as fuck. Now, let's walk the line.